Amelie for the fourth Sunday of Lent, St. Mary's Church, Grand Forks, March 31st, 2019. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The importance of St. Paul's message is brought home to us in Jesus' masterful parable in today's Gospel. We proclaim this reading once every three years in the season of Lent, but I would love if we used it every single year. The popular title for the parable over the years has been The Prodigal Son, but I've heard people propose that a better title would be The Parable of the Forgiving Father, because that's where the focus really belongs. In any event, there are three distinct and compelling characters in the story, and all of them have something essential to say to us. What I say here will only skim the surface of this parable's rich meaning. However, I do wish to examine each person in turn, and therefore reveal what they have to teach us. First, let's consider the younger son. What he did at the beginning of the story was unconscionable. Adult children move out on their own as a matter of course, but usually they accumulate the resources they need ahead of time to live independently. The prodigal son's request for his share of the inheritance was crass and insulting. He basically told his dad, Right now, you're as good as dad to me. Why don't you divvy up your worldly wealth so I can start using it for myself? Those words were like a knife plunged into his dad's heart, and insulting to the elder brother, too. But amazingly, instead of telling him, don't let the door hit your backside on the way out, the father complied with his son's foolish request. The first few days and weeks must have been a rollicking good time, but quickly the party was over. The younger son lived only to indulge and consume. He wasn't giving to others as a steward, but was using and being used. To symbolize rock bottom, Jesus depicts this Jewish boy feeding swine, and what's worse, hungering for what the pigs themselves were eating. Things had to get desperate before the prodigal son decided to change course and return home. We hear him reciting his speech as he's walking along. He thinks to himself, I have one shot at this and have to get it exactly right. He anticipated that at best he'd be put on probation to work and live with the hired men. But when he reached his father, he wasn't even permitted to say all he wanted to say. So quickly did his dad intervene. What we learn about the father far surpasses what we could expect. First of all, the father was actively looking for his son to come home. There was no thought of writing him off and giving up, despite the horribly shabby treatment the prodigal son had given him. We gather from the story that rumors were flying as to the prodigal son's exploits, which were enough to tarnish the family name. But there's no dwelling on the past, no rehashing of such lurid tales. The last thing on the father's mind is to interrogate the young man. Is it true that you did X, Y, and Z? Moreover, upon catching sight of his son, the father ran to meet him. This is no trivial detail. In that society, it was embarrassing and unbecoming for an old man to run for any reason. 
in deference, deference to his age, others were expected to cross the entire distance and meet him where he stood. Heedless of how unseemly it may have appeared, the father moved in great haste. No sooner than he got to the young man did he start calling out instructions. Put a er, finest robe on him, a ring on his finger, and sandals on his feet. Slaughter the fattened calf, and let us prepare for a feast. What do these gifts symbolize? Oftentimes a family would have a unique signet ring that the head of the household would wear and use as a stamp to make purchases or authenticate documents. Imagine if that is the kind of ring being placed on the prodigal son's hand just then. And what about the sandals? They were an assurance of the young man's freedom. The father, on giving his son sandals, is saying to him, Now that you are back home, I don't want you to carry a weight of guilt. You are not reduced to a servant's status. You are my son. If you want to leave again, you may do so. Again, it seems too good to be true, and for good reason. Jesus seeks to expand what divine mercy means to us. Lastly, we come to the elder brother, who is anything but a footnote to the story. We need to take some time to evaluate where he is coming from, because I dare say that thousands of people sitting in church pews this weekend are hearing this parable and identifying very closely with him. You're darn right the elder son was angry. Why not? It's not like he's the one who brought shame to his family. He played by the rules. He showed up every time the need arose. No one ever gave him any attaboys. He's gotten the short end of the stick for too long. Those of us here who have served on church committees for years or have taught CCD classes can feel underappreciated and put upon. Some might go so far as to say, what would the rest of them do if I just up and quit? That would really show them. I recently saw a reflection by a spiritual writer on the elder son that really got me thinking. He said that the prodigal son's older brother could not attune his spirits to the lively music and dancing because he never grieved his brother's loss. He only grieved his return. End of quote. Notice that he referred to the prodigal as your son when speaking with his father, and not as his own flesh and blood. The author continues, quote, This apathy of the elder son to a brother's condition reflects an icy indifference to the grave plight of tax collectors and sinners. The elder son is insensible to the tragic horror of a human soul lost amid wayward living, thus insensible as well to the ecstasy of its unexpected recovery through repentance, end of quote. Regardless of who we most resemble in the story or what precisely we have done, every one of us depends on God being as compassionate as the father of these sons. We want God to intervene so that we do not remain dead but are alive. We want heaven to celebrate our conversion of heart, as Jesus promises earlier in this gospel that the angels in heaven rejoice over every sinner who repents. We want to hear the Father say to us tenderly, Everything I have is yours. 
the most direct and profound way that we bestow that gift is through the Sacrament of Reconciliation. Now is the time to pay attention to the schedule of confessions being offered, especially for those of you who prefer to attend a communal penance service with a variety of priests to choose from. Do you want to put yourself in the place of the prodigal son as our Heavenly Father runs toward him to embrace him? I can't fathom why anyone wouldn't. Shortly after I was ordained, I occasionally would hear other priests mention that they reeled in a big fish while hearing confessions one day. It was their way of describing someone who had been away for quite a few years. Don't worry, they never divulged anything about the penitent. Personally, I pray for the grace to forget the contents of what people confess, because when God forgives it, the sin is gone. It is no more. But it makes an impression when someone answers that invitation from Jesus. Believe me, we as priests rejoice that we can play a small role in people entering the confessional as sinners and departing as saints. Amen.